Hello and welcome to this special episode of the Startup Survival Podcast with me, your host, Peter Harrington. Over the course of Series 2, a number of you kindly got in touch and asked me questions about startup topics that I had not originally planned to cover. And a common thread concerned the issue of transitioning through the early startup phase when everything is at its most fragile, at its most uncertain. Chris Hiscox, Enterprise Officer at the University of York, kindly wrote to me and asked, amongst other things, if I'd talk about the issues of realistic sales forecasting, as well as offer some advice so people had a better understanding of the type of business they really wanted to run. And several people, including Professor Tom Cooney over in Dublin, Camilla Barleying in Copenhagen, and Dr Marlin Hoffman in Cape Town, also asked me about various issues related to effective business planning. So in putting this episode together, I've delved into my own startup history and thumbed through a number of reference books. Where relevant, I'll be directing you to existing podcast episodes within series one and two. And as you might expect, I have included some stories too. October 7th, 1989, York. Day 10 of running my first ever business. The autumnal morning sun is shining through the office window. Jeez, I'm excited. Why? Graduation over and 23 years young, I've given myself a job in my own business and here I sit at my new second-hand desk. Comforting my feet is Discount Dave's off-cut carpet, which kind of covers the 120 square foot of my whitewashed brick-walled office I'm renting for a tidy £17 a month. I kind of fitted Discount Dave's carpet on Saturday. It would have cost me 46 quid, but being a proud new entrepreneur, I negotiated the £10 delivery charge. In reality, this meant I'd carried the thing about half a mile on my shoulder all the way to my office. My office. And that's where my new £1,000 desktop computer also arrived today. But let me share a secret. Better than that computer is my prize £15 swoop from Curry's. My brand new filter coffee machine. As it gurgles, the scent of gorgeous ground coffee fills the air. Oh, to be in business. And best of all, oh, to be busy. Busy putting the bits of my computer together and trying to decode the DOS messages on the mono screen. Busy thinking about another, better business plan whilst I sip my Colombian coffee. Busy installing my new money manager software so I can keep track of all my recent financial transactions, or rather my purchases. What a feeling it is to be busy in your own business. Entrepreneurs love to look and feel busy. It's a kind of code or currency that suggests to ourselves and others that we are experiencing success. But busy can also be a facade. Busy doing what exactly? The majority of startups fail, unfortunately. So what should entrepreneurs be doing to avoid this fate? With the odds stacked against us, in the early months and years, startups should be doing all they can to survive. And key to survival is making more money than you spend. Running out of cash is the most common reason for startup failure. Yet there I was in my office, loving the idea I was keeping busy and keeping busy by spending money and spending time on things that didn't make money. To survive in business means getting busy doing the right things and doing them well. 
Yet the early startup days are typically full of discomfort, dilemmas and challenges, some of which appear insurmountable, especially if you work alone. So don't feel embarrassed or any kind of failure if the following situation rings true for you. It happened to me and I'm certain it's happening right now to millions of startups all over the world. Your business idea has moved on from the business plan. Like me, you've spent a bit of money on necessary resources and if you're very lucky, at the month end, you may have some spare cash for yourself. But that early exciting zing, shine and sense of entrepreneurial control over your own destiny, whatever that means, is not so bright now. In the dark hours of night, sweet dreams begin to rub shoulders with sour realities. Uncertainty and the unknown seed worry and anxiety. And your original business plan that won you the prize money that drew you into this brave new startup world already feels hopelessly dated. Sure, some of your plan was accurate. Yep, you spent the money on the resources you needed. But those sales figures you forecast back then seem ridiculously optimistic and are, in truth, way below expectations. Where are the customers and why aren't they buying more? You've tried a bit of selling, advertising, networking and even asked for referrals. And you're rarely off social media. You've even been in the media. But the money just isn't coming in. So what next? Well, Whilst all my businesses have survived over the last 30 plus years, I've moved from getting startup wrong to getting it right. And if you want to save yourself about 30 years of time, keep listening. For a moment, let's step out of our entrepreneurial shoes and instead, let's think of ourselves as detectives. Instead of chasing money, we're chasing criminals. So what kind of detective are you? Are you the type that relies on hunches and guesswork and runs around in circles accusing every suspect? Or is thorough research and evidence gathering your driving force? If guesswork is your game, I'd like to bet you'll never make a successful detective. And if you adopt this approach, you're very unlikely to become a successful entrepreneur either. Research is critical Although be mindful that overanalysis will lead to paralysis. Research needs to be followed up with action and this necessarily means you will make mistakes. And if my experience is anything to go by or follow, you'll make lots of mistakes. The key is to keep learning and learn fast from the errors you inevitably make. So my first tip is to take a step back and to take your time doing it. In the early days of any young business, time is typically an asset the business owner has in spades. Many entrepreneurs are often in way too much of a hurry. Why do we rush? Well, for me, I think startups feel they have to prove themselves quickly. They have to appear busy. They think someone else is going to steal their idea. They feel they have to demonstrate business success from the get-go to the people around them. Such thinking is utter folly. And if you doubt what I'm saying, go and speak to an advisor or mentor and simply ask them to tell you what their expectations are for you and your business in the first 12 months. You'll almost certainly find what they expect of you and what you expect of yourself are different things. They will expect you to work hard, but they won't expect you to be rushing to instant success. OK, so you are happy to slow down and you recognise the importance of research. But what research do you do? 
All entrepreneurs must understand their customers and competitors. You need to get objective feedback from people who are in the market to buy what you sell. You've probably heard this before, but may feel flummoxed about how to do research properly so you get meaningful answers. All on that shoestring budget you have. So here's the way forward. I urge you to listen to episode three in series two of this Startup Survival podcast. My guest, Diana Kander, lifts the lid on the precise steps you need to take to do research in order to turn an idea into a great product or service. No matter how many times you listen, that podcast episode is 100% free and only requires 30 minutes and 57 seconds of your time. And if you want even more confidence-boosting subject information, read Diana's New York Times bestseller, All In Startup, or listen to the audiobook. This gem of a novel will set you back no more than £15, but if you want specific answers and a roadmap, I can't recommend this book highly enough. Now, there is a real possibility that your research will tell you things you didn't want to hear you may learn that there just isn't a gap in the market for your offering. Congratulations, that's a result. As Diana says, customers are irrational and you mustn't expect them to think the same way as you. But don't be disheartened. This may be the moment for that all-important pivot. Quality research will save you so much money and time and if you act on your latest findings, you may well have stopped yourself from going down the wrong track. But if you feel a pivot or a retrench means you are right back where you started, let me assure you, you are not. You are in fact in a much better place. You are now equipped with an invaluable learning experience. And more importantly, this is what you need to do next. Go and get the book, Start With Why, by Simon Sinek. Whether you want the Audible, Kindle or book version, the 255 pages of inspirational clarity will form both axis and compass for your entrepreneurial thinking. Simon's words will help you to discover the kind of business you want to run. Remember, being your own boss means no one is guiding you. The seemingly insurmountable challenges at the beginning occur because we don't know what to do next or we guessed our way into a one-way street that goes nowhere. For startups looking for direction and speed, the book Start With Why is a motorway with signs so big you can't but help become a more assured and confident thinker and thus know what you have to do next. Start With Why will help you to identify what really matters to you and how you can best apply your talents to your new venture. And Simon Sinek's brilliant read will set you back less than a tenner. Having invested a few hours and no more than £25 in a couple of invaluable resources, you should be feeling far more assured about what inspires you and how to go about discovering what your customers need and want. But as a side note, if as a result of listening to this, you are now looking for a new idea and seek inspiration, tune in to Professor Alistair Fee in Episode 2, Series 2 of this podcast. With decades of experience, Alistair is a creativity and innovation specialist and shares the hows and whys of thinking up and through new ideas. 
But let's get on to the nuts and bolts of how you take your business forward so that both your thinking and your venture have the best chance of surviving and better still, flourishing. As I mentioned in the introduction, this special episode is the result of feedback and questions from listeners. And one of those questions was how do startups project sales realistically? Well, anyone who has worked in the world of credit finance will tell you that nearly all the startup projections that they have reviewed are optimistic and often wildly optimistic. Why is this? Well, there are, I think, a combination of reasons. One, startups think big numbers impress. Two, startups are often desperate for money as their own cash reserves are typically very low. Three, Rushing startups can be prone to laziness and picking numbers literally out of the air. And four, as entrepreneurs, we are by nature optimistic people. Now, I've been and done all of those things, and my advice to you is simple. People with far more experience of finance will see through and undo you with a couple of questions if you ask for money and can't back it up with appropriate evidence. It's a bit like the detective seeking permission to charge a criminal for an offence, but when challenged about the evidence, shares simple hunches and guesswork. Everybody's time has been wasted. To project sales realistically, you first need to follow Diana Kander's advice. Ask a sample of customers who are in the market for your product or service about buying what you offer. And as she says, if you can conduct experiments, pilots or tests to see how people adopt and adapt to what you offer, you will identify all the knots that are getting in the way of people making a purchase. Once you are over your fears of rejection and your customer research is done and you've also observed customer behaviour around competitor products, you may well be ready for a soft launch. A soft launch? What's a soft launch? Well, remember the story from those kind of successful guys from Innocent Smoothies? If not, it it goes something like this. Richard Reed, John Wright and Adam Ballon were university friends in the 90s and dreamed about starting a drinks business. Whilst working in their own first jobs, the three guys maintained their side hustle and experimented with different smoothies for about six months. Then, in 1998... And cleverly combining research and sales, they sold their first drinks at a London music festival. At their stall, there was a sign which simply read, Should we give up our jobs to make these smoothies? Customers were asked to throw their empty cups into a bin marked yes or a bin marked no. The yes vote was a convincing winner. And convinced they were onto a winner, the smoothie team wrote a business plan and went in search of investment funding. Like so many businesses, a rejection followed rejection, and the plan was rewritten 11 times. The guys were in considerable debt, but their customer research and passion for the product ultimately attracted the attention of Morris Pinto, an American who invested a quarter of a million pounds. And the rest? Well, you know the rest. But if you are scratching your head, just Google Innocent Smoothies. The reason for including this story is because even for the most successful entrepreneurs, the transition through the research and business planning phase is fraught with frustration, especially if your venture has clear scale-up potential and you seek investment. Now, 
If you have questions about attracting investment because your business has clear scale potential, then listen to episode six in series two. Serial entrepreneur and investor Olga Miller has war stories, clear action steps and invaluable time-saving advice to share. But if you don't seek investment and instead want to bootstrap your business, bootstrapping, by the way, is where the entrepreneur uses their own money and available finance without parting with any equity. And if you if you do want to bootstrap, you'll almost certainly find the process for completing financial planning projections much simpler. The reason is because the numbers are smaller and you don't have potential investors continually scrutinising forecasts. But the question of projecting sales realistically must still be addressed. And this is my advice to help you get your numbers right. I've got five points. And the first one is this. When sales planning, be pessimistic to the point of assuming no sales in at least the first three months of trading. Forecasts with zero sales in the first three months removes the pressure and helps to show you how to tighten expenditure belts and also what kind of financial loan or overdraft support you really need. Two, any sales you do predict must be supported by clear evidence. If you seek money from a financial lender, remember, she will have seen people like you many times over and will want to know how and why you forecast those numbers. Three, sales totals will be determined by the pricing points you set. During the research phase, make sure you have asked people in your market, will they pay the price you want for your product? And bear in mind, Going back to Diana Kanda, people will lie to you. Four, if your product is going to be made available for free because your revenue comes from ads or sponsors, ensure you have spoken to those media people so you understand how they want to see traffic data evidenced and presented in return for their money. And five, once you start trading, do everything in your power to interact with customers. You will be thrilled when some of them buy, but the real treasure is the feedback they give you as to why they did or did not purchase. This information helps you to continually update and improve what you offer. You are far more likely to be pleased with your sales planning if you are pessimistic, because if things turn out better, it's just a bonus. One final piece of advice is to keep your forecasts in front of you every day in those first few months. Things change quickly and you'll learn a huge amount from customers if you keep exploring why they chose you. As a result of ongoing research, your plans will alter, which leads me on to my final tip. Always keep a record of each plan before you make any changes because the historic information you are retaining will be invaluable as you continue to move forward. Well, before I close out this podcast, I just want to share thoughts on one final issue. We've looked at managing and forecasting costs as well as sales, but as yet, I haven't considered the issue of profit. To help me explore the issue of profit, let me share one final story that relates to that first office I rented way back in 1989. It took four years before that business was a money-making venture, and to be honest, getting to year four meant I had to make a lot of personal sacrifices, one of which was paying myself as little as £200 a month regularly. And as I recruited colleagues, I typically paid them more than me. Remember, startups must, must, must focus on survival in the first few months and even years. Cash is king and most businesses fail because they run out of the stuff. If you are lucky, 
you may be profitable early, but don't make profit your mantra. Instead, invest in making sales, fostering loyal customer relationships, building a quality team and developing key skills. These are all foundational pillars that underpin startups that go on to become profitable and succeed. Take your time and trust me, I've witnessed many who have made the mistake of prioritising profit only to see their dreams shattered because more important issues weren't given sufficient consideration. Taking your time with research and starting with why may not feel like you are moving at any great pace, but be assured you are equipping yourself with the appropriate knowledge and mindset to go way further than you may have ever thought possible. Going further in the early days and making headway is frustrating and you will take five steps forward and then sometimes four steps back. To win through, you just need to be resilient and keep listening and learning from those around you. Work hard, stay humble and your self-belief, confidence and your business will grow. Once again, I am so grateful you have tuned in to the Startup Survival Podcast. My name's Peter Harrington. Go well, stay safe, and thank you.